Buenos dias, mi familia. Uh, happy uh, Hispanic Heritage Month. And uh, my wife is Latina from El Salvador. And so she said, well, Benjamin, you've got to preach on the Latinos in the Bible. Come on. And I said, yes, you're right. And I searched and searched and searched. And they didn't exist yet. That's actually true. Um, the colonizers had not yet made their way to the Americas. Uh, with that, let's go, God, in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we were able to gather as a family this morning. That we were able to take in uh, your body and your blood broken and poured out for us. That we can be made new. That we can be a people of reconciliation in the, in, in the world. God, people... Uh, who live in systems of power where people have been oppressed and people have been lifted up and privileged and, and yet we come together as a family despite our differences, despite our different backgrounds, our different ethnicities, our different upbringings, our different worldviews. God, we are one people and one family uh, because of your son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit that gives us life. We pray that as we look in your word this morning, that you can breathe life into us and allow us to live as the new people of God in this world today. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus Christ's name and the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, so the title of the message this morning as we continue in our study through the book of Acts is a crime of passion. A crime of passion. And if you're anything like my sister-in-law, Sarah, you love true crime. <laughs> but you know why we like true crime? No. It's because it's real. <laughs> We love true stories, even if it's not crime related. If you ever watch a movie and it you know, begins with like the white letters across the, scre the screen that say, based on a true story or inspired by true events, how do you feel? You love that mess. <laughs> you love it. Why? Because it's true. Because we think when we see and hear and read stories like that, we think, wow, that could happen here. That could happen in my time and place. That's why we love true crime, kind of. Maybe that or it scares us, right? Because then we're like, well, I can't turn the lights off when I go to bed. But something like that, right? Because it's real and it could happen here. And I want us to hold on to that thought because I really think that that's one of the, the few thoughts that is absolutely vital when we approach the, the biblical testimony, the word of God, the scriptures. When we approach the Bible, we must bring that thought with us. That could happen here in my time and place. A crime of passion is defined as a crime that is not premeditated, but rather is done in, quote-unquote, the heat of the moment, all right? And, and what that means and why that's relatable for us as humans is because we all feel things. Passion just means emotion, something that is emotive and drives us. And whether we like it or not, whether we know it or not, we all have feelings. We all have passions. We all have desires. We all have things that drive us. And I doubt any of us would think that we would be the kind of people to do something like that when it comes to true crime, right? None of us think about crime and we're like, yeah, man, I'm the kind of person who would just do something like that. But that's why it's a crime of passion. It's not premeditated. And when it comes to kind of biblical crimes, maybe, or crimes that happen in the Bible and people who do things wrong in the Bible, we look at them, we're like, man, what was wrong with them? And we don't put ourselves in their shoes and realize we share the same humanity and that could happen to me too. I'm tempted with the exact same things in my day and place. The other thing that, uh, you know, why 
crimes of passion are so relatable for us is we all have emotions, we all feel things, and we're all driven by these desires that I'm talking about. And we can have desires for God that drive us, but we can also have desires that are motivated and formed and cultivated by the powers of this world. And so today we're going to talk about power a little bit. I was going to share a story of an example of like true crime, but um, Melina said it was too dark. So you just have to use your imagination and Google true crime later on. Let's begin in Acts 5, verse 17. And when we finish reading the text, we're going to end in, in verse 42. I will say, this is the word of the Lord. And as a congregation, we will reply, thanks be to God. Acts 5, 17. I'm reading in the ESV. But the high priest rose up. And all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple. Speak to the people all the words of this life. Capital L. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have the apostles brought. When the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when he opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the uh, captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what what this would come to, what would happen. And someone came and told them, look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, because they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man, he's talking about Jesus, this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the other apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And then he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theudas rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. But he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. And after him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, Keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. 
You might even be found opposing God. So they took notice. They took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them still, wow, and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now what we see in this text is a crime of passion. But what we see truly is the author gives us two contradicting testimonies, two contradicting witnesses to what that crime is and who the criminals are. On the one hand, we're given the portrayal of the Sadducees and the religious elite. And from their perspective, the apostles who are proclaiming the good news about Jesus are clearly disobeying their orders. The apostles are disobedient. They're attempting to start an uproar. They're disrupting the status quo. And so the audience, those readers of the book of Acts, are given this portrayal of a crime that the apostles are committing. And they witness the apostles being thrown into prison and a public prison at that, so that everybody can see that they are quote-unquote guilty. And at the end of the story, we see the apostles beaten as well. You know, everything from this vantage point of the narrative seems like they are the criminals, that they are the ones committing this crime of passion, that they are so excited, and they're being uh, led by their emotions to act this way. But on the other hand, we have a very different and subversive narrative. On the other hand... The apostles are the ones being accused and thrown into prison. But we have another character who enters the story. Anybody want to guess who that character is? No? It's the Holy Spirit. We see the Holy Spirit come in. And this subversive testimony tells the story of the apostles being animated and empowered, given life, coming alive by the Holy Spirit. They're supernaturally led out of prison and commissioned to speak the words of this life a divine life. And then we have this famous rabbi and Pharisee, Gamaliel, give the line, if their words are of man, they will fail. But if they're of God, nothing and no one could overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. And at the end of the story, the audience is meant to ponder and discern who committed the crime of passion. Was it the ones who were passionately proclaiming the testimony, their witness, of seeing Jesus resurrected and the new life they were encountered? Or was it the religious rulers protecting the status quo? And I think the key to discerning the difference in this story is found in verse 17, where the text reads that the religious rulers were filled with jealousy. Filled with jealousy. And why were they jealous, we might ask? I think it's all, I think the answer, why were they jealous? I think it's a question of power. And when I say power, I mean control. The high priest, it's a title that in, in and of itself invoked a sense of power and authority. The high priest, along with the Sadducees, were the people who held the religious power and maintained control and access to the temple of God in Jerusalem, the holy city. And so the question of power for the Sadducees was a question of the status quo, but it was also a question of their identity, their livelihood, who they were in relation to others. And I think they were ready to settle for the status quo. 
For them, selling for the status quo meant comfortability. It meant keeping their position, the power in their hands. And their narrative, they held the power and the apostles were criminals. The Holy Spirit didn't really have any space to fit into the, their worldview. It just didn't belong. <clears throat> but for them, when they have the power, then everybody who needs healing comes to them. Everybody in, in verses uh, 12 through 16, everybody who needs healing comes to the temple to get healed for them to be ministering to them. But if the Holy Spirit has the power, well, then everybody goes to the Holy Spirit to get healed. And the healing is a whole lot more uh, effective, a whole lot more transformative. And so why were they jealous? Their power, their control was threatened. In the original language, the word we have for jealousy here is zealous, which literally means uh, zeal or zealous. It's where we get the word zeal from. And, and zeal basically just means intense passion. It can be good or bad. You have the apostles were zealous at times in a good way. Right here, we have the high priests and uh, the Sadducees zealous. There's a crime of passion going on. And when we look at these two stories of passion, the passion of the religious elite and the passion animated by the Holy Spirit, if, I, if I'm really honest, I totally succumb to the pressure of the passion towards power in self rather than Holy Spirit power. Because power in self tends to settle for the status quo. Yeah. Power in self makes us feel comfortable because we, we're familiar. We're not pushed out of the familiar. Rather, we consolidate power in what we already know, what protects us, what makes things easy for us. We then become zealous for this power, jealous of anything that might strip that power away from us, jealous of anything that would make our lives that we've curated less comfortable. And for me, with everything that's happened in my life over the last couple months, I, I feel utterly powerless. And like the, li the life I wished for and, and desired seems to have been destroyed. And when I look on social media, I experience jealousy. If I'm being honest, I experience jealousy. I see the lives that, that appear to be so perfectly curated, so in control. And I desire that. I long for that. I'm jealous of that power, that ability to be in control. The power to curate my life. To know my circumstances and the outcomes. And since I feel like I don't have that, prayer can seem impossible. Because prayer is an invitation to be animated by the Holy Spirit. But what that means is giving up control. And I don't feel the zeal of telling stories of God's power right now. Rather, I feel threatened by God's power, by God's control. And maybe you can't relate to this at all, but maybe you can. Have, have you ever felt threatened by God's power? As His power necessitates the taking of some of your power. Because that's an incredibly human feeling. Yeah. You might be wondering what I mean by power. I'm talking about control. Yeah. And we wrestle with control all the time. From desiring to control our schedules to desiring to control our roommates' actions and decisions. Yeah. Have you ever had a roommate that, you know, they just didn't do their dishes and you're frustrated with it and you wanted to 
control them, right? That is super simple like that, or it could be much bigger. We desire to control, you know, our plans and our future and our relationships. Wanting to have control over whether someone lives or dies, maybe. And for you, it might be having this, this social acceptance that you long for. You might desire social acceptance, but to do so, you've got to withhold some power from God in your life. Put it another way, you might feel that you, you, you want to wholeheartedly love and follow God, but you're also terrified of losing a sense of self if you give him control. A sense of self that you hold so near and dear to your identity. To follow God means to lose a sense of power and security. Maybe that we find in our academics or relationships or our career. One way or another, with God or without him, we will commit a crime of passion, of zeal. You know, with God, we might be passionate witnessing to what he's done in our lives and we'll be, we'll be passionate criminals in the eyes of the power of this world. Without God, we're jealous Sadducees clinging on to our personal power and control and yet we're criminals of passion in the courts of heaven. And so what do we do? The book of Acts, or sorry, the, the book of Luke ends with Jesus' words for the people of God to wait in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And the book of Acts begins with Jesus' promise that they will receive said power from the Holy Spirit. And then what we see in the rest of Acts is it starts to happen. It starts to happen. And Jesus says this heavenly power is purposed for witness. And so what does that have to do with us? Well, if we look at the apostles in Acts 5, this power of the Holy Spirit heals countless people in verses 12 through 16. This is the power that frees the apostles from prison in verse 19. In that same verse, this power tells them to go and stand in the temple and speak to the people the words of this divine life. What's the divine life? It's life in Christ. Life animated by the power of the Holy Spirit that raises the dead. But it's funny that the Holy Spirit tells them to go stand in the temple and speak. The very thing that they got put in prison for, right? That takes a lot of confidence to go and do that. And the Holy Spirit tells them to do it. And I think part of it is because the Holy Spirit is demonstrating power. The temple carries immense significance. Because the temple is the place that literally represented all of the power and authority that was held by the high priest and the Sadducees. And so for the apostles to come in the power of the Holy Spirit into the temple, they're subverting the status quo. The apostles are crying out, we must obey God rather than men. Words that only ring from voices animated by the power of the Holy Spirit. And they go on to say that God has raised and exalted Jesus. He gives repentance and forgiveness through Jesus. These are the exact same words that Jesus uses in Luke 24, 47 to 48. He says, you'll be witnesses of all these things. What do the apostles do? They witness all these things. And they say, so is the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the real protagonist of this story. The real hero. He's the one who's truly moving the story along. And so for us... Will we find ourselves opposing God and grappling 
to keep hold of our own power and control. Because if so, we might find ourselves getting in the way of God's healing. Getting in the way of God's healing of us and of others. We might just realize that we end up getting filled with jealousy and contempt because things inevitably won't go the way we plan them. Our life won't always be perfectly curated. And then when it's not, we're filled with contempt. We find ourselves opposing God, but at that point, usually our hearts are so hard, we can't even see it. But the other side of the story that we can live into is that we might find ourselves beaten and bruised by this world, called criminals, not enjoyed for our witness, as we witness to and wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. Just as the apostles were beaten at the end of the story and bruised, just as our Lord Jesus was beaten and bruised and ultimately hung on a tree and killed, so too might we be. But if we're animated by the power of the Holy Spirit, we'll be okay with giving up control. Why? Because we might find ourselves knocked down, but even then, we will always find ourselves empowered to go and get back up and stand in the temple. We will always find that nothing can keep us down. We've been, you know, when we give our power over to God, we can't lose because God wins. Nothing will be able to keep us from our witness. We will be a living and breathing example of Holy Spirit power and healing to all who will see and listen, to all with ears that will hear. And so how do we do this? I have two practices for us this week for us to live into as a community. And number one is wait for power from the Holy Spirit. To take Jesus' words seriously, wait for power from on high. And that's really, that sounds really nice. How in the world do we do that? I think it looks like times of silence and solitude in our schedules. When we quiet our own minds and where we just wait and invite God to speak. And one practice that can help us do this is the practice of Lectio Divina. In Lectio Divina, we read a passage of scripture over and over again and we just meditate on it. We're not trying to study it. We're not trying to um, uh, try to use it to prove somebody else to be right or wrong. We're just reading it and silencing ourselves and listening. And we meditate, we practice silence, and then we ask God, show me where I am in this story. Holy Spirit, what are you showing me? Who are you calling me to be? Or what are you calling me to do? And we just listen and wait for power from on high. If you want to learn more about Lectio Divina, pull me aside later on or hit me up later. I can share some resources with you. But I have one other practice for us to live into this week, and that is the practice of sharing our testimonies. And a testimony is just a witness. It's just sharing your experience with the one who rose from the grave. And this is literally just living and speaking as a witness to the Holy Spirit in good times and bad Sharing your testimony, or your testimonies, plural, because we all have many testimonies, isn't just the story of how uh, you were first reached out to and shared um, Christianity with. Sharing your testimony isn't just the story of how you got into the waters of baptism or how you rose out of the waters of baptism. Sharing your testimonies, plural, is your life with God, your experiences with God. And we can always share those. Sharing our stories and our experiences with God with one another is something that we need in community. It gives us life. 
It, it, bring, it brings us into a shared narrative. It makes us a people who are one. Yeah. But it's also exactly what the rest of the world needs. It's a thing that the, the apostles couldn't stop doing because they're listening to the Holy Spirit. They couldn't stop speaking. And it's not like they just kept saying, hey, have you heard about Jesus the Messiah? I'm sure they did that. I mean, they certainly did that. But they're sharing the testimonies of their experience with the risen Christ. They spent years with him. They saw him heal people. He healed them. That's what they're talking about. And we can do that too. Nothing's changed for us in our day. We have testimonies and experiences with God too. And so the invitation for us this week is to share our stories with someone new this week. This is what we call proclaiming the good news. And as we do this, let us be a people this week who are indeed clothed with power from on high. Holy Spirit power. Let us be those who may be beaten and bruised by the world, but let us also be those who never stop getting back up. Let us be those who will let go from grappling with control and stop settling for the status quo. Rather, let us be those who go and stand in the temple, the very places of power in our world, and subvert them. May we be led by the Holy Spirit, and may we speak to all the people the words of the divine life that we get to live into. Let us remember it's true crime. This can happen here. Amen. To God be the glory.